Greetings, fellow slingers. Welcome back to World of Hard 20 Podcast. It is I, your trusted handler, Brian, welcoming you to another one of our Delta Green homebrews. This time, Gaslight. You know, I've been hinting about running this scenario for Delta Green for quite some time. In fact, I think it's been even since before we ran Deep Waters. I've been tossing around this idea and running it past the hard slingers of yore as well as several of our consistent hard slingers deciding of who was going to actually take place in this uh, in this scenario. And it wasn't until we wrapped up Sweetness that I realized that agents Odesso and Kimura, who are played by Tony and Sam respectively, wouldn't be able to be in the scenario until they were able to fix what went sideways at the end of that particular scenario. And if you haven't heard Sweetness, then head on over to our archives. You can check it out. It's I really enjoyed running it. I know those two had a blast playing it. And of course, it's got our kind of sense of humor, our kind of funniness to it. So don't forget to check that out. But I was left with the conundrum of deciding what I was going to do as far as agents for this new scenario, Gaslight. And that's when I started putting together agents for Deep Waters uh, with Junior and Radke playing. And they enjoyed it so much I just knew that it, rather than having Sam and Tony run through Gaslight because I was prepping something else for them, it just made it more streamlined to run the newer generation of agents through Gaslight, which is what we did with this one. And I think Chris and Radke, they, they really hit it out of the park with this. And I know you're just as excited to hear it as I am to play it for you. But before we begin, I want to remind everyone that they can find us on all of the major podcast apps out there. Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all, all the other sub ones as well. To please leave us that five-star rating and review on whichever podcast app you do listen to the show on because it really does help us out. And I know you guys want to help out the show, right? Well, pass it on to word of mouth as well. Tell all your friends and family if they like these kinds of shows where you've got this conspiracy going on and you got the unnatural and you got people that are playing off each other and against you. I can't, that's enough, that's enough. I don't want to give any more away. So why don't we just warm up our dice and top off our glasses. Roll the Hard 20 podcast presents Gaslight Part 1. Hello, how are you doing, gentlemen? Doing good, good. Mr. Rice, Lieutenant, is he a Louis? No, no, he's not. I didn't he's think he's ATF. He's yeah. ATF. Ooh, do you like the alcohol, the tobacco, or the firearms best? <laughs> he likes them all, baby. Yes. <laughs> no, he's he's more uh, firearms related. So is everybody ready for our gaslight scenario? I know we've been uh, talking about this for a while, you know, deciding when we were going to do this. I'm ready yeah. to get gaslighted. Yeah. Hey, that's right. Okay. Well, here we go. Greetings, fellow slingers. Welcome back to Roll the Hard 20 podcast. It is I, your trusted handler, Brian, welcoming you back to another edition of our Delta Green run through gaslight. And with me, Agent Rice and Agent Ramirez. Bring it. Hello. Yeah. So, Agent Ramirez, it's been several weeks since you and Agent Coldwell had did your mission in the Alaska Sea, and you really haven't heard anything from him. A couple times you might have tried to call him. He hasn't picked up the phone. Once you guys made it back to the mainland, he's basically been MIA. No telling what he's been up to, but you have a feeling that what you guys did out there and what you left behind to go into the depths of that sea probably weighed heavily on him. What have you been doing during this these past six weeks? Um, I think that Ramirez is probably doing some drinking because um, that's kind of his thing. And I picture him because he's creative and he takes these scenarios and these um, situations he finds himself in and he um, writes. So I imagine he just kind of like holes up for a couple days, probably in a 
hotel room and you just see him like bottle after bottle and like pack after pack of cigarettes and he's just jamming on a computer and um at times he probably like goes to sleep wakes up plays with it erases stuff whatever but after you know like a week of doing this he's got like a manuscript and it just kind of says you know this is what happened out there and um what he does with that um we kind of talked about creatively. I think he has at least one book out there floating around and he's probably working on two or three more. It's like the uh, Dave Chappelle. He's like, oh, you've written four books. Uh, incorrect. I've written five books. They've allowed me to publish four. So basically he's been documenting his, mm-hmm. you know, his adventure that that happened out there and everything that went on. But does he plan on releasing this? Um, yeah, it all or depends he... on what he can get past Delta Green or with their... Um, I know they do kind of like information disinformation, um, but I, I imagine he, he puts it out there almost like as a, um, I wouldn't say a podcast, but it's like a fanfic blog. Maybe he's making a little bit of money off it, but he is searching for the truth and he wants people to know stuff's happening. So whether people want to read it and think it's fictional or not fictional, it's there. And so you've been holed up in this hotel, basically paying for it week by week. Occasionally pecking away, getting hammered, watching stuff on the cable, going down to the to the liquor store that's down yeah. at the corner, refueling, getting a few beef jerky things as well as bottles of booze, come back up and, and day in, day out, day in, day out. Basically a cycle at this point. And you know, you know, by the end of the evening that bottle's empty, you get up the next morning feeling a little cotton mouth, and you prepare to go out the door like you do every morning and as you open the door you notice that there's an envelope laying right in front of your door to your room it's addressed simply to ramirez i think he probably like kicks it over because he's you know hung over and um he's like and uh and it's a it's a thin envelope it doesn't look like there's a whole lot in there Mm -hmm. Uh, he, he maybe even like because he's so out of it he like rips it a little bit so when he picks it up, it's like torn. So as he starts rifling it through it, he's probably trying to put some of the papers back just to see what's going on. Yeah, and as you start putting it back, you notice that. Uh, why don't you go ahead and make a, a luck roll with your d20? Four. Four. It looks like you managed to shred part of the paper that's inside. You didn't miss it. And from what you could tell as you pull the other half out, it looks like it's an airplane ticket. Hmm. That takes you someplace in in Savannah, Georgia. As you start dumping out the rest of the contents, you notice that there's an envelope in there, and it just has an address and a time. And from what you can tell, it looks like it it directs you to Smithy's Funeral Parlor in Savannah, Georgia. And there's an address underneath there and a time. And it looks like it's probably for about twelve hours from now to get out there. He probably, he, he like, you know, as he's taking all this in, his eyes keep kind of darting over to the liquor store. And then he just looks down and he's just, you see kind of that he accepts it. And then he goes inside, hits save a bunch, closes down, starts closing down all the computer. And you just see him walk into the shower. He's going to, you know, start the process of becoming a person again so he can operate. And you see the scene slowly start fading to black. As it comes back alive, we see another individual. It's uh, probably middle of the afternoon, weekend still. And we see Agent Corbin Rice at his home desk doing some writing. You see him going over these reports again and again. You see multiple copies of these reports, almost as though he's looking for some kind of a perfection in in maybe what's going on. Maybe somebody didn't fill something out right. Maybe he's double-checking his own work. Agent Rice, why don't you tell me what you're doing with these reports? Uh, Agent Rice just, uh, he's been working a really, really difficult uh, firearms case. He's been tracking um, kind of an unknown group of, of people. He's not sure who they're affiliated with, but he's gotten some tips that that they are um, looking to move really large quantities of, of weapons. Um, he has up to this point, uh, an absolutely stellar arrest record. He's kind of the top dog in the ATF as far as arrest goes. And this particular case is really um, eluding him because 
he's not sure who these people are. He doesn't know who they are, what their motives are, what the timeline is, but he's he's got uh, information that there may be something big going on. So as you say, he's he's going over these reports and all of this data repeatedly, just looking for any extra information that may tip him off as to, you know, who this this group of of um, you know criminals are that are looking to move weapons, you know, within the United States. And as we see him going over all this, filling everything out, the camera slowly pulls away from him, pulls away from his office, and we see the camera go down a long hallway and we realize that there's banisters to the left and right and we realize it's it's an upstairs room and then slowly pans by an empty room to the right it's got a, a bed in there it's furnished but very plain starts going down the stairs we see another room at the top set up the same way going down the stairs and it starts going through hallways and we realize that this house that he's in is is a really big house but all the rooms are empty devoid of any sounds of, of other people, children, no dogs, no nothing. And the camera slowly stops and starts panning to the left and we see the front door and we hear the doorbell ring twice. Ding, 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 ding. That's actually four times, but <laughs> somebody's at your front door, agent. Those man knocks twice. So uh, I I don't immediately hear the, the bell because I'm so um, focused on this paperwork. Um, by a, by the second ring, I kind of snap out of it. I get up. Um, I have my firearm on my side. He's a little twitchy anyway, you know, because of, of this particular case he's on. Uh, I head towards the door with my hand on my weapon on my right hip. Describe then, your, your physique for the listeners, by the way. I We'll get, yeah. we'll get to Ramirez, too. We're going to need measurements, too. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me which way you dress. You dress to the drawing. Yeah, so he's uh, <laughs> he's uh, six foot tall, uh, really wide shouldered, wide bodied. Um, he's bald. Uh, skin is really kind of rough uh, from overexposure to the sun. He looks a lot older than he really is because he spends a lot of time out in the uh, out in the sun. How old uh, is he? Uh, he's thirty five. Damn. He's got um, wearing a, a black polo shirt and just wearing some khakis with um, some tactical boots. That's kind of his standard, uh, you know, standard you dress. Bench? Uh, bench 385. <laughs> yeah. So this yeah. guy is like I do 387. Um, but yeah, he, um, he he's just when you look at him, he looks very kind of surly, but he's he's built kind of like a a big guy, even though he's not really that strong. He just looks like it. So you approach the door, peek through the peephole, and you don't see anybody on the other side of the door. Are there any windows to the side of the doors? Tell me about your house. Does your house have windows to the side of the door? Yeah. So we'll, uh, <laughs> that's right. It's my house. <laughs> Um, so I'll, I'll look on the, the, the way the house is set up is you have a, uh, large double door. And then to the right is a tall slender window. That's okay. got a kind of a shade. So I make my way over to that, um, and, and just peek through the, the, uh, slit between the, uh, the door or the window jam and the shade. Yeah. You don't see anybody there looking around. And as you look down, you notice that there's a, some kind of a package right on your doormat. Okay. Uh, I step back to the door, um, you know, still with my, my uh, hand on my weapon and I slowly open that door. I've still got the chain, like a, a heavy security chain on it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if those are even viable anymore these days, but yeah, get right in. Open up your stupid chain. Um, and, and then that, that um, package, is it, like a box or is it an envelope? It's like a large envelope, like a, like a eight by 10 type shipping envelope. Something you okay. get from FedEx or probably, they're probably bigger than that. Probably like 11 by 13 or whatever they run those. Okay. I close the door, remove the security chain, open the door, kind of look around outside um, just to see, uh, you know, if I can see anybody that might be like either in the bushes or around the car that's in the, you know, the driveway. 
Yeah, go ahead and make a uh, an alertness check. Alertness check. Whoops. Uh, alertness check is going to be a 14 under 50. There you go. Yeah, you look around, you see the same cars that you usually see on your neighborhood. You know, the neighbor's got a, a truck across the street. Somebody else has got a, a Cadillac down the road. But you don't see any other cars that would not normally be there. Everybody that's there just seems to be there. You don't see any delivery trucks going and nobody dropping off their Amazon boxes on any other doorsteps or anything. Uh, whoever dropped this off has probably long since bailed out of there. You got your super fine neighbor, Mrs. Parker, just watering her lawn for like the 30th time in the afternoon with a bikini on. Ooh. And so, as you look, as you look down at the envelope, you see it's, it's addressed to an agent salt. Okay, so I, I, uh, my eyebrows kind of perk up. I grab that that eight by ten envelope quickly, uh, move back inside the uh, the house, shut the door, lock my my two deadbolts and the security chain. I head back to my office. I sit down, looking at it, measuring out the time. You know, just letting letting it meter out as you look at this envelope, deciding what you want to do with it. There's gotta be a reason why it's addressed to an Agent Salt and not Agent Rice. That's a name that that nobody really knows about. You know, it's one of those nicknames that somebody might have from their high school years, maybe earlier, that everybody else wants to know how you got that name, but or even if it refers to you. Right. But yet somebody seems to know this name. <laughs> That's right, boy. Uh yes, somebody does know that name. That is, it's kind of a, a code name alias that he has that very, very few people actually know, uh, except maybe his partner and his mentor in the ATF. Even his own brother and family don't know that name. Tell me what you want to do with this envelope. Um, I will uh, pull out, uh, reach into my my desk, grab the uh, you know, a knife, Spyderco knife, flip it open, cut the package open, and then pull out the uh, inside. Hell yeah. Fucker open. You see two pieces of paper fall out. One of them is a paper boarding pass for an airlines. Another one is a plain envelope that says Smithy's Funeral Parlor. It's got a an address in Savannah, Georgia. And it has a time. Looks like it's about 11 hours from your current time right now, which puts it probably about 9 o'clock in the morning. You said that was Smithy's funeral? Yes. And I have to be there 11 hours from now? Yeah. Okay. So I I look at that and, hmm, interesting. I I just, I'm thinking to myself, this must be... uh, pretty serious if I've only got 11 hours to be at this location. I actually have to uh, retcon that time. It looks like it puts you at about 5 o'clock in the morning. 5 a.m. Georgia time? Yeah. Okay. And what's current time? Retract that back. What is it? 5? 6 o'clock in the morning? Afternoon. 6 o'clock in the evening. 6 o'clock in the evening. Sorry. Damn it. Damn it. The I man didn't, didn't my get into the ATF. 11 hours from now, we'll put you at, at 6 o'clock in the evening of the previous day. What? And for the listeners and myself, what year are we in? Uh, we're at about 2017 right now. In keeping with the uh, the canon of all of our APs mm-hmm. together and how they kind of start to overlap one another. So no holograms yet? No, not yet. Okay, so Project I need to Blue be. Blue is still coming down the line. So, mm-hmm. all right, so I need to be at Smithy's in Georgia. Uh, I'll get there around six p.m. following day. No, you need to be there by five a.m. tomorrow morning. It's six p.m. Okay. right now. Got your it. Time. Okay. Okay. Taking so, the old red eye. Yeah. Well, it's giving you. It gets enough time. Yeah, depending on. I mean, regardless of what state he's in. Mm-hmm. He should make it there, no problem. So, yeah, you can get coast to coast in what five hours now, something yeah. like that, five six hours. Mm-hmm. Unless you got to go from uh, 
Florida, California, because your son's been in an accident, in which case you'll spend about seven hours waiting in uh, Texas as they repair three planes. Sad stuff. It sucks. So, so go ahead. I imagine you start getting together your your goodie bag, which you probably already have one put together for short notice. Yeah, he's got a he's got a everyday or EDC bag that's okay. got you know his standard stuff in it. So you guys make it to your appropriated airports, wherever you guys are located, because I know you guys probably are not in the same state. Get on your respective planes, touch down in Georgia, and you both manage to arrive consequently at the same time, about 4.50 in the morning, at the Smithy's Funeral Parlor. You notice that the morning sun hasn't has yet to rise, even though you're on the East Coast. And uh, it's possible that either one or both of you haven't had any sleep yet. You know, you notice that the in the fenced-in parking lot of this facility, you see a lone brown sedan. It's parked just outside of the illumination of a lone overhead light within this parking lot. I kind of want to roll for uh, sleep. Okay. You think low? You tell me what you want to do? I say uh, under 10, he didn't sleep. And then above 10, he got a little rest on that flight. Okay. Ooh, 10. So I'll say no sleep. No sleep. Ramirez a wild man. He was up drinking cocktails. He talked his way into first class. And what we'll do is we'll keep the exhaustion rules in mind because of that. Okay. Um, What about you, Agent Corbin? Did you manage to get any sleep or? No, he he didn't. He's uh, used to running really long uh, stakeouts and ops. So he he can actually, you know, function on. Uh, just a few hours of sleep. So he's he's good to go. And there are things that you guys can do to offset that, uh, whether you guys smoke cigarettes or you Cocaine. take... Yeah, even even drugs or, uh, you know, illicit or what other, otherwise. But eventually the toll starts to come back on you on the back end. And what we'll do is, is I'll check that out in a little bit. I'm, I don't want to break the continuity of this. But as you guys both approach this this fenced in area from different angles you see one another as you slowly walk towards the fence and this is the first time you guys have have each seen each other ramirez you notice that there's this tall broad-shouldered individual bald uh carrying some kind of a bag in his hand looks like some kind of an overnight satchel and as you take him into account he's looking at you as well and as your long strides each in turn begin to slow down as you see each other watching each other coming towards this fence. So I think what you see for, you know, opposite looking at Ramirez, um, so full beard, glasses, he's got like a wife beater, but over that is like an open, untucked Hawaiian shirt. Kind of muted, but it's still got the colorful stuff and uh, board shorts. And um, he's wearing a press badge. He's holding a like a duffel bag. So you're thinking, you know, he's got stuff in there. Um, and then in his hand, he's got um, like a tall boy inside of a, a, a paper bag. And uh, he's just like, <laughs> like, he's at that cool thing where, you know, after a couple of drinks, like he's not even surprised to see anybody else. He's just like, OK, all right. They sent you here, too, huh? It's like he already knows you. But one of the things you are surprised at, though, Ramirez, is mm-hmm. that it's not Caldwell. Mm-hmm. Ironically, Sorry. not only is this somebody new, but the individual you were last on an operation with hasn't even shown up yet. Or, or who knows? Maybe he's inside right now. So maybe he does kind of that thing where he realizes because of the way you're dressed and the time, you're obviously not just a local. You know, you're not like a tourist walking around. Um, so he, in a second, he does. He's like, all right. And he just switches gears to be like, okay, like, you're here too. Um, and he actually like goes to shake your hand and realizes he still has the beer in it. And he goes his other hand and he's like, Romeo Ramirez, how you doing? Uh, Rice. Uh, you're looking a little pretty, uh, kind of rough there, Ramirez. Everything okay? Oh, perfect. Hair of the dog, baby. Well, all right. What, what brings you here? I, it looks like we're both here for the same thing. You get an envelope. 
I did. Yeah, I think we're here to check something out. Where to? What's your life story? He's like Reader's Digest. Reader's Digest. Yeah, I'm a uh, work for the government. An ATF agent. I specialize in uh, firearms. What about yes. you? Uh, investigative journalist. He, he quotes a couple obscure articles. He's like, you like California basketball? No, I don't have time for sports, man. Ah. Gotta, I got too much time, uh, you know, invested in, in keeping guns off the street. Good man. We need more people like you. Yeah. So what, what, uh, what do you think's going on here today? I have no idea. This could be anything. You ever done one of these before? No, this one's new to me. I, I, um, earlier in my career, I, I had, you know, these types of ops, but, um, this, this is, this one seems different. I think, um, any, anything could happen. I've seen a lot of weird stuff. Hmm. Uh, we'll just take it slow, talk to these people and try to figure out what, what we're doing here. I know they don't give us a lot of information to go off of. Hmm. So it sounds like you've been on a few of these before seen a little bit of action you kind of see like his arm is a little bit like beat up um you get the idea that maybe he's like taking some damage from stuff like this anything uh anything i need to know before going into this uh me i think we'll be fine okay all right uh, after you I mean, I'll, I'll follow your lead here okay so you said we see a sedan in the in the Smithies Park. Yeah, you see a, a lone brown sedan. It's parked underneath the only working bulb in the parking lot. In fact, it's the only car in the parking lot. And as you approach the building, you notice that all the windows of this this facility have been boarded up, and the front door is the only. It's slightly off its jam a little, indicating that it is cracked open. Is there anybody in the car? It's not like it's not somebody waiting to talk to us from where you are standing. You mm -hmm. can't see what's going on inside the car, but you can tell that the windows have been fogged up for some time. You know, you still got that that humidity that's rolling through the morning air in Georgia. That's kind of what you get that feeling of the gnats starting to come out a little yeah, bit nasty. It, but muggy. It's, it's still dark, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's still muggy kind of a. A little bit of an effort as you inhale and exhale, almost like you're breathing some kind of a water. <laughs> he um, like chugs the last of the beer and just throws it. And he's like, let's check out this vehicle. <laughs> oh, no, this is the last of the beer. That's just a <laughs> clink. Okay. Are the windows tinted? On the car? Yeah. No. Okay. No, they're just fogged over. And is there any other, are there any street lights or floodlights or anything around that might be illuminating this vehicle? Just the one that it's parked under. Okay. You know, like an, like an old metallic dome that's got the single bulb inside yep. and where it uses the shine of the, of the metal itself to cast greater illumination. That's all. That's the only, uh, only type of light source that you see and it's parked directly under it. Is it enough light? that we could see inside without getting too close to it. Not from the distance you're in. No. Okay. So, Hey, Ramirez, let's, uh, let's check this car out. This seems kind of odd The lone car next to this boarded up building. Sure. How far are we away? Maybe 25 feet. You guys just walked inside the gated perimeter of this parking lot. You figure that you got another 20 feet to get to the front door. And then the car's about 25 feet, which is another five feet from the front door. I know who I would be expecting to think. So I think in Ramirez's mind, he's expecting Heisenberg. So he has no reason to fear whatever this. So he'll walk right up to the driver's door and just like. You look inside, there's nobody in there, you know. You, oh, okay. Now, that as you get closer, you can see through the beads of sweat that are on the inside of the car that it's completely empty. Two people in there making out. It's a car rocking back and forth. <laughs> no, no, nothing like that. Uh, but as you get closer, you can kind of tell that there's some some warmth coming off the hood, as though possibly the car had just been parked. Mm, looks like somebody got here before us, Ramirez. Interesting. Maybe they're already inside. Is it from where it's parked? Would it be closer to go to the front of the building or to the back of the building? The front. 
Which is probably why the front door is partially open. I think just for good measure, he's going to step around and take a pick of the license plate. Okay. And then he's just like, all right. You know, and he, no. he's like, do you, do you want to check this car out anymore? No. Yeah, let's let's head on inside. I mean, we're we're both obviously here for a reason. Sure. So I, I think we're probably pretty safe. <clears throat> we could probably exercise a little less caution. Yeah. Till the, uh, you know, something happens, I, I feel fine. So we can just walk up to the front and knock on it. Is it locked door? No, it's in fact, it looks as though somebody had already opened the door and left it partially open away from the jam, which is what I was mm -hmm. talking about, how the door's slightly off the jam. Mm -hmm. So is there any light? Uh, it's a little dark inside. So I'll, <clears throat> I I pull out my, I have a tactical flashlight. I pull that out and I hold it up, you know, kind of, um, you know, in my, my fist. Okay. And you, up by, uh, up by my eyes. And you scan inside, you notice there's a, uh, a bit of a reception room, most likely from when this, this building was operational. Obviously with the boarded windows, you can probably tell this place has, has long since been shut down. Not really Beerus pulls out his little pen light and he's like, it's not the size, it's how you use it. And he's doing the same thing. Yeah, uh, so in you a guys less are... tactical, like badass way. He's just more like dun, dun, dun. And you guys are sweeping back and forth, and you see that you know there's an old desk in the background, which is probably where they would greet people and say, Oh, you know, so and so. And there's a door in the back as well. Hello? Anybody in here? Hello? You just met with silence. Any footprints on the ground? Nothing. Go ahead and make a search. 51. Oh, 47 under 51. You do see a fresh set of footprints that lead from the front door that you mm -hmm. guys are standing at across the lobby to the back door, mm -hmm. which is maybe 15 feet away. And then they obviously go beyond that closed door. Ramirez, I just look at Rice, and he's like, kind of does the eyes and points at the f the footprints, and then he points at the door, and then he walks over to the door. Okay. When you go, when you get inside, you can immediately tell that the air within is very damp. Mm. Kind of got that mildew taste floating around. Well, let's do it, Ramirez. We're this yeah. far. You know, time's wasting. Sure. So he opens up the door, walks through with the again the pen light, just looking. Yeah, and you can see that the, the, the hallway goes probably the full length of the building, deeper into it. As you start moving, you notice that there are other open doors on either side. You see that there's you know some kind of an old pantry. You see that there's a storage room with old uh, caskets that have still been left behind. Continue to make your way deeper and deeper. Eventually... Uh, you see like the detritus of what bums have left behind, whether it's, you know, trash or body waste or whatever. Beer it cans. Just, yeah, the whole place just kind of really stinks. Uh, eventually, you make your way to another door and pass through. And you enter a room with yellowed tile on the floor and walls. Uh, possibly the last stop a body would make before being deposited into a coffin. And standing at the back of the room, you see holding a disposable paper cup that's just giving off this steam of this hot beverage. You see a man standing there. And Ramirez, you immediately recognize this man who's got this short cropped gray hair and a stout physique. He appears to be in his mid-50s. He's got these ice blue eyes that watch the both of you standing in the doorway. <clears throat> and he takes a long pull from his coffee clears his throat and says, well, the two of you guys are going to get your asses in here. Are we just going to play who's in here next? Well, let's, let's do it. Sorry to keep you waiting. Take a seat. And you see that there are two lone chairs that are just sitting like in the middle of this, this yellowed prep room. You see that there's a smaller folded table with a closed laptop on it. And he waits for the two of you to come in and sit down in the chairs. He says, uh, 
Ramirez and I have met before. Agent Corbin, my name is Heisenberg, and I'll be your handler for this night at the opera. I want to ask the two of you, have you ever heard the phrase, commit a sin twice, and to you it will not seem a sin? Hmm. Can't say as I have. I want to tell you a story about a man, Randall Schaefer. He was a friendly of the agency who eventually became one of our agents, and in the past, he'd been instrumental on a few cases. That thing that went down in New York's subway back in 08, the Montana ranchers' bovine debacle back in 2011, and most recently, the cult in Louisiana's bayou, when what the media described as a gator had been picking off the locals. After his final opera, he began to have a change of heart and decided to retire from the agency and finish out his days from where he had once hailed from, which was New Orleans. And from what we've gathered, it would seem that old Randall, in his concern for life post-retirement, had already prepared contingencies to ensure he didn't become the next mission. He absconded with several sensitive artifacts and dangerous rituals. With these items he's taken, I want to make this clear. Under no circumstances is any of this information to leave this room. It stays between the three of us. But of the items he's taken, one of them was a legend for deciphering certain elements of hypergeometry, which to the layman would be considered magic. He also took off with a five inch square lead box containing an amulet made of a gray polymer, which was an artifact just recently recovered from one of our own teams not too long ago in a Falco pendulum with a chalk rod in it. Now it's this particular item that we believe he's using to predict multiple futures, but contrary to conventional thought, it's not the Falco pendulum that's predicting the future, but rather the chalk rod contained within. The only question is how much damage will he do before this chalk runs out? As for the other stuff he's taken, well, he's, we know he's taken a few ancient rituals that may or may not be genuine, um, but the curator still listed those as items that he left with. Uh, after a little deliberation and in response to what Schaefer has done, the agency decided that he might become a risk. So five weeks ago, they sent a team out to officially retire him. Not only did they fail, but the team was wiped out. So I guess the brain trust was right about his damaging the other people. I can't, I can't stress this enough about what's going on with this man. We managed to keep what was done to this team out of the news and hope that if we left him alone long enough that he'd let his guard down and we'd get another crack at him. Well, it would appear that he didn't lay low long, because shortly after he took the team out, reports started coming across the desk of one of our friendly officers of the New Orleans Police Department, an officer, Patricia Hill, that some unusual deaths were occurring throughout the local districts in New Orleans. And it wasn't until the fourth report that she made the connection between all the deaths and reached out. The reports involved several people in New Orleans, all unrelated, who had never met each other before, and who, over the course of the past four weeks, had their futures scried by an African-American male with a thick accent going by the name Doc Rondall. It's reported that those close to those deceased had this Doc Rondall basically foretell these individuals of their tragic demise, and that mere hours later, each of these victims met an untimely and very violent death. Obviously, the relatives of those victims believed this Doc Rondall to be in some way responsible for the incidents and reported to the police. Our friendly intercepted this information, and that's why we're here today. 
Now, hold on to any questions until after I show you something because before you leave for New Orleans, I gotta show you a video. Ramirez is like. He walks over and he opens up the laptop. He pushes a few buttons to queue up this, this iMovie. And you see it's a cell phone video that's been blown up. It's taken by some unrelated bypasser. And he says, I'm gonna show you something that happened to uh, to somebody recently. And I apologize for the shoddy composition of the recording. Only it wasn't any fault of the technology. So the video begins to play it's dusk along one of the many storefronts in New Orleans, and you can see that the focus of the frame is on a woman showing off her new necklace of beads. You hear the man that's taking the cell phone video is complimenting her, telling her how she can work the payment off for those beads back in the room. In the background, though, you see several people milling about the street and sidewalk, and then the video suddenly gets grainy with these horizontal lines bisecting the screen. And for the briefest of moments, the video clears and something pops into frame right next to a man standing with his wife in the background. The man seems to burst into a cloud of red spray before the video goes grainy and wavy again. And when it clears a half moment later, the woman in the background is standing alone and just covered in crimson. The video clearly shows the bottom of a man's torso and legs still standing for half a moment before pandemonium breaks out, screams begin to emanate from multiple directions, and then the video itself stops. Heisenberg closes the lid on the laptop and says, do you have any questions? Holy shit, what the fuck was that? And Ramirez is like, like hawking up into a trash can right next to him, like, oh! We believe that Randall Schaefer is this Doc Rondall. And we know he's somewhere in one of New Orleans' many districts. And we believe he may be leaving within the next two days with this stuff that he's taken. A stroke of luck may be on our side. A storm's going to hit the Big Easy in about 14 hours and that should keep the street traffic light and the pedestrians indoor. That might be the most optimal window to take Schaefer out. So I'm going to need you to find out where he's located at, where he's holed up in, and then I want you to call this man on this phone. And he hands Ramirez a flip phone. Okay. And he says, besides my number, it's the only other contact in this phone flips it open pulls up the contact list what's it say james glacer glacer he's a friendly he works at the district's power plant and he owes me a favor he's going to give us a window during which he'll reboot the system for that district that you demand that'll provide you with the opportunity you'll need to get anything done with the power out it's going to last for about an hour, so you'll have to work it fast. Hmm. You should be aware that in addition to the already sensitive items I've mentioned, Randall has absconded with several Delta Green personnel dossiers as well. Now, if you're wondering why the both of you were chosen for this particular mission, it's simple. Your dossiers were amongst those that Schaefer took with him when he left. Which means not only does he know who you are, but who your loved ones are. What the fuck is this guy doing? Is this a, you know, a retrieve and burn or retrieve and like bring back? Does Is he expecting us to bring the documents back? Are you asking Heisberg? Are you asking me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, hey, boss, should we, if we find these dossiers, should we bring them back to you? Or just get rid of him well here's the thing we believe that he's prepared several packets regarding his affiliation with the agency and he plans to send them off to various news organizations and outlets if we're to get too close and he feels there's no way out so eliminating him might not be the best solution um, until we know where the packets are 
or if they even exist, that's going to be something you're going to have to make a field judgment call at the time. So you're saying that we need to get these dossiers and this documentation back before we make any decision and maybe snuff this guy. Whatever it takes, but here's the mission parameters that I want the two of you to be aware of. Number one, you need to find a way to handle Schaefer in such a way that it will never come back to the agency ever. Two, you need to recoup as many of the items Schaefer's absconded with so they can be returned to the curator for inventory. Three, and this is going to be a tricky one, you're going to need to destroy all the bodies of the victims to prevent any further medical testing on them and either collect or destroy any files tracing back to them. Now, the bodies should be in the possession of the local medical examiner, a Dr. Levin Broussard. So at some point, you're going to want to get your asses over there and hook up with him, see what he knows, see what the security's like there, what you're going to need to do to, to make this part work for you. I think already, like, the wheels are spinning in Ramirez's head. He's already coming up with, like, a slight plan. So he's like, we need to isolate, find the guy, isolate him, and get rid of his information and then make contact with these other two and try to see what kind of resources we can get on the ground. So you'll be flying into New Orleans airport, which will put you about 11 miles outside of the city. You'll be going in under the guise of FBI agents. So Ramirez, you're going to have to change your attire because that shit just isn't going to fly with the credentials. Even though your credentials are bogus, they're not going to stand up to heavy scrutiny, so... You're going to have to keep a, a more even kill when you come across these people. And keep a distance from anyone in authority. Try not to challenge their authority. When you land, get in touch with the NOPD and let them know you're on the scene so it doesn't look like you're trying to piss on their turf. We can get in contact with uh, uh, Miss Patricia Hill and uh, kind of maybe she can give us a little bit of information too. Yeah, Officer Hill, uh, you should know that there's a Lieutenant Fontenot that's heading this task force that's working the case. He's been with the NOPD for several years. The guy knows standard operating procedures there. I would have only less to say. As a side note, you should be aware that any one of the rituals he's taken, if used, have the propensity to fracture his psyche and that those effects are cumulative. Meaning if he's used it once, and then he's used it twice, that damage will is going to stack in his brain. There is no coming back from it. So if he's used this thing four times on citizens, and who knows what he did to that team that was sent down there, you don't know what kind of frame of mind this man's going to be in. Ramirez is like, oh, you commit the same sin twice. Nice. You brought that back around. I like that. Very nice. Well, I'm glad you made some connection to something. You must be one hell of an analyst when it comes to fortune cookies. <laughs> Any questions? No, it seems pretty straightforward. Yeah. I wish we had more time in Savannah. Speaking of fortune cookies, it's a great uh, uh, place right around the corner here. Get some mushu. I'll be seeing you guys. I've got to take this call. And you don't even hear his phone ring. You just see him walk out of the room. He grabs a laptop and leaves, leaving you two to sit in this old-ass decomped funeral parlor. Like two boys sitting in a Saturday afternoon detention at high school. He's like, yes, before you ask, he's always that pleasant. Yeah, I'm used to people just barking orders. So, Ramirez, we, we probably need to get moving here. We've, we've got a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, he's like, all right, give me a second. The thing he said about changing, so Ramirez will, like, duck into one of the side rooms, and when he comes out, he's got, like, a sweater on with, like, a, a shirt button underneath. He, outside, he looks completely different, and it actually looks like he might be somewhat professional, but he's still, like, smoking a cigarette, and you can, like, smell the beer on the breath. <laughs> just coming out of the pores and shit. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. well, I... And he, yeah, he's just like, all right, yeah, we should, um, 
I guess, jump on these planes. Yeah, I, uh, hold on, Ramirez. Uh, mm-hmm. That sweater seems like that might be a little much for the weather we're going into. You might uh, maybe something a little lighter, perhaps. Kind of opens up the duffel bag, and you see like a couple changes of clothes in there. And he's like, "Yeah, let's see when we get off." He's like, "I'll tell you one time, I got off the plane in uh, Alaska, and I wasn't prepared. Man, it was freezing the entire time." But that's a story for another time. Okay, I just I I don't want to. If you want to hear that story, check out Deep Waters. Like a like a gun, you know. You'd rather not have it, or you'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. So you guys find your way to the to the airport in Georgia, and you arrive in New Orleans about two o'clock in the afternoon. You disembark the plane, and you could feel the humidity as you make your way through the tunnel leading away from the plane. The AC can be felt as you enter the terminal proper, and you see people milling about the exit as they fumble for their personal effects, cell phones, keys, whatever it takes. You know, people just have a tendency to stop in front of other people moving. You know, as you try to get around them and through the crowd, you see a member of law enforcement looking at the faces of each individual who, who passes. He's obviously looking, and when he sees the two of you begin to exit the tunnel, his eyebrows raise up, and with an uncomfortable smile, he he approaches the two of you and he says, "Hey, afternoon, agents. I'm uh, I'm Officer Labouf. I'm sorry for you see you both hit the ground running, but uh, there has been a development in the case that uh, brought you all here. My orders are to receive you all and bring you to the latest crime scene." It appears uh, about 40 minutes ago, we had another another casualty. Ramirez is like, and who's heading up this uh, this unit? That would be Lieutenant Fontenot. He asked me to collect you personally and bring you to him. As far as anything else, I'm not at liberty to say much until next session. Thank you for joining us once again on Roll the Hard 20 Podcast. Remember, you can find us and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Podcasts, and Audible. And if you like what you're listening to, leave us that five-star rating and review. We've also got a YouTube channel at Roll the Hard 20, so if you're into watching, head on over there and hit that like bell, and don't forget to subscribe. We can also be found in the wild on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, so don't forget to check us out and look for us out there. You can also contact the show directly at RollTheHard20Podcast at gmail.com or head on over to the website at RollTheHard20Podcast.com where you can also download the current show directly and view our archives and galleries. we got a lot of interesting stuff posted there, so head on over. And finally, join us on our Patreon page at Patreon.com slash RollTheHard20Podcast where you can become a hard slinger and pick up swag. So until next session, keep your dice warm and your glass topped off as you roll those hard 20s.